How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, the Outlaw Preacher, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today being Saturday, our tradition, though we're not really traditionalists, but I guess we do have our odd little traditions. Such tradition is a Saturday is Q&A day where we open up the floor and if you got any comments, questions, issues, insights, discussion topics, debate topics, you want to talk, you want to fight, what, what's going on, you want to just talk about something that's on your heart, on your mind, go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. Uh, the rule is first come, first serve, and uh, we'll try to get to them in sequence of order they come in. I got a, a couple things on the board, and I'm a little frustrated that uh, Reddit is going through a bit of a political change right now, and people are protesting on Reddit, and out of protest, they're shutting down their subs. So generally, we could go to Ask a Christian and look at some questions, but they, that subreddit's gone dark. They've shut it down for now out of protest uh, due to the changes on Reddit. So I can't really go elsewhere to find other questions. So I'm kind of scrabbling, trying to come up with a couple ideas. So I'm really hoping that you'll be able to help me out. You got something you'd like to talk about. Um, please bring it up. I'd be glad to hear from you on that. Try to fill out our broadcast today a little bit more. But I got a couple things I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, settling for the second best when it comes to walking with the Lord and uh, following the Lord and uh, serving the Lord. Oftentimes we uh, grow tired, frustrated, whatever else, and we wind up settling for second best. I want to talk about that. Um, also want to talk about dealing with the past as this has come up uh, time and time again uh, with a number of different folk that I've talked to. And so I thought it wouldn't be bad if we talk about this again, go over this again just a little bit. There's a couple of verses I want to bring up and just something you to think about. I'm in no way telling you what to do. I'm just suggesting. I'm just giving you an option here. I'm giving you something to consider. And I want to talk about the mystic faith. And uh, so it's something I want to discuss in that as well, as a lot of people struggle with uh, their faith, struggle with Christianity, in, in uh, how it works with what's going on in our modern society. A lot of people kind of turn Christianity into something physical and uh, focus on the physical. We talked about this throughout the, the week here. Uh, just kind of want to tack this on on the end, something to consider, something to think about, and what this means. So I hope that this makes sense to you. hope this is a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. And before we get started, if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up, make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon so we put up new videos and check out all our other videos. We've got tons and tons of other goodies and content and Bible studies and all kinds of stuff there. As well as on our website, we have uh, free downloadable gospel track PDFs. Um, we have PDFs uh, for download. You can print them off and as many as you want. Uh, it's free, 100% free, no catch, no fee, as well as we have uh, e-tracks, so you can uh, download this and send it via email. You can e send e-tracks to everybody, and they'll receive it to be able to hear the gospel as well. So avail yourself to that and get yourself busy in serving the Lord. Uh, 
All right. So good. Wrong button. There we go. Still getting used to this machine. So good morning, folks. How's it going? As you can tell, I'm not finished my coffee. I'm tired this morning. All right. So many buttons. There's so many options. So many things on this crazy machine. It's infernal newfangled technology. Okay. So with that, good morning, folks. Good morning. So this past week, we've been working through the Gospel of Matthew. We finished up chapter 22, and we finished up chapter 23, and we really got an earful and an eyeful of what the Lord has to say in regards to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the legalists, the hypocrites, and all this. And it's always quite shocking every time i go over it is just to see how the lord comes down on these individuals and and how and i i really like to focus on is how immensely different the jesus of the bible is from the jesus of many denominations and churches from the jesus of so many other people's supposed ideology um, the number of people I know who, who firmly, adamantly, adamantly believe that Jesus is some hippie. He's a limp-wristed, soft hands, soft-voiced, just love anything and everything kind of person. And he never speaks anything in judgment. Or he's never judgmental. He's never harsh. He's never hard in any way, shape, or form. And it's just, I don't understand how they get that. I, I, I what bible are you reading like do you just kind of skip over these passages of the bible do you kind of skip over the judgments of god and the the woes and the judgments issued by christ do you kind of skip over that do you think that the prophets and the disciples were in error like would you stand on Mount Carmel and when Elijah's mocking the prophets of Baal, would you rebuke Elijah and tell him that's not how he should behave? That's not what God would do? Uh, I.e. he's a prophet that the Spirit of God is literally speaking through him. Spirit of God is literally using him. That that was actually the Spirit of God mocking the prophets of Baal. I love my God. He's awesome. Uh, so you see how... It was actually the Lord is mocking the prophets of Baal through Elijah. Think about that one just for a moment. Think about that one just for a moment. That's funny. And uh, we actually go over to John the Baptist at the River Jordan. When he starts ripping up the Pharisees, that's actually the spirit of God speaking through John the Baptist telling off the Pharisees. And as Jesus is God, we see Jesus, God in the flesh, how he talks to the Pharisees and how he deals with them in Matthew 23. So we go on and on and on. And let's take a look at this. That God is no slouch. And you don't want to mess with him. He never loses. So we see that God has a backbone. That God has a, a strict authority. Heaven has a wall with strict immigration policies. And we see how the Lord operates, how the Lord works is in strictness. Now we do see that there is grace. He does teach. He does guide and, and guard and instruct. But God does have limits. God has limits. 
And there's a limit to what he'll put up with. As we see that uh, how when the, the kings of the earth gather themselves together against the Lord, against the Lord's anointed, and they, they say, let us cast off their bands asunder from us, and they want to fight against the Lord, against the Lord's anointed, how the Lord laughs at them. And then what does it do? It says he will cause them to be in derision. And it talks about then how the Lord will fight back against them. He'll thrust them through with their own sword. He'll make them fall in their own pit. Then they'll get snared in their own net. The stone they roll will roll back upon them. And how he'll, he'll shatter their bows of steel. The Lord fights against them. Our, our, our God, our Lord, is a God of war. He's a God of war. And take a look in the Old Testament, especially even in physical war. Is, uh, the Lord is known by the judgment which he executes. And it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. You tick him off. And he'll let you know. Like, for example, someone correct me. I can't remember the name of the state. Where was it down in the States where there's this LGBT pastor, woke pastor dude, and it starts going off of God is gay and all that kind of thing. And then his church literally gets struck by lightning and burns to the ground. Um. If you if you kind of wanted to know, <laughs> uh, and, and want to see evidence of God and evidence of of judgment and that kind of thing, check that out. How this woke pastor starts corrupting the Bible and talking about God is gay and all that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's what he was saying. But anyways, he starts uh, pushing a woke gospel, and his church building literally gets struck by lightning and burns to the ground. Um, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, the Bible says that uh, we shouldn't uh, delight when the enemy uh, gets their retribution or the Lord who will see this and be displeased and will turn against us. Uh, we shouldn't laugh at that, but it is ironic. It is rather ironic. It is We truly see that. and it's But by the grace of God, we don't see more of that. People things they're doing today it's just amazing the patience of god is amazing okay so again folks if you have anything you'd like to talk about any comments questions issues insights discussion topics debate topics go ahead ask away be glad to hear from you um again we'll answer them in sequence of order that they come in and if i miss a question if i miss a topic uh, please remind me uh, there's so much going on and i get a one-track mind when i'm talking about something and i don't always notice uh questions that come in so i do apologize about that but yeah all right so the one thing i would like to talk about before we get going is something here that i found exceptionally disturbing exceptionally disturbing um you know uh, my thoughts on this uh, you know how I feel about these kinds of things when we get talking about Calvinism. And I came across a quote I wasn't aware of by R.C. Sproul. Now, I don't know what you know about the guy. Uh, R.C. Sproul, he was a super hyper uh, staunch Calvinist. Uh, quite some interesting views. And I came across a quote of his and immediately people say well that's out of context that's out of context no 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 it's not it's not out of context um rc sproul says 
God wills all things that come to pass. God desired for man to fall into sin. I am not accusing God of sinning. I am suggesting that God created sin. Yes, he said that. That's not out of context. This is what he says. This is what he believes. He's a staunch, adamant, hyper-Calvinist. I have heard other quotes by him uh, similar to this. And here's just one uh, more concise by him. He says, God wills all things that come to pass. God wills all things that come to pass. Really? God desired for man to fall into sin. Well, let's just take a look at something here. Now, I got into a little bit of a discussion with a Calvinist yesterday because I posted this uh, on Instagram and he, of course, did not like it. And he wanted to challenge me by that. He says, so, so are you are you disagreeing that God is all sovereign, that God is in control of everything, that, 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 uh, that all things are not by the will of God? Let's take a look here is god in control of absolutely everything well see there is the aspect that by him all things consist but then when it comes to the affairs of man you see the affairs of man the will of man and the will of god uh, issue let's let the prophet hosea have a voice here Prophet Hosea, chapter 8, verse 4. Hosea, chapter 8, verse 4. So, if he says, God wills all things that come to pass, God desired for man to fall into sin, I'm not accusing God of sinning, I'm suggesting God created sin, so this whole thing that uh, God is literally controlling, manipulating, setting up, and that nothing happens outside of the... Uh, will of God. That's the Calvinistic model. Nothing happens outside of the will of God. Because God is all sovereign, he's all powerful, so therefore everything and anything that happens is the will of God, right? That's what they say. Well, Prophet Hosea, chapter 8, verse 4. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols that they may be cut off. And he goes on, but the Lord is saying here, they've set up kings and princes, but not by me. I had nothing to do with it. God literally says in Hosea chapter 8 verse 4, that nations set up kings and princes not by him that god has nothing to do with that with kings and princes that these nations are setting up for example we see that king saul was not the will of god david was saul is what's called the people's choice david was god's choice 
And God warned them, if you set up salt, this is what's going to happen to you. He's going to be doing all these horrible things to you. And they're like, we don't care. We want Saul anyways. Saul was not the will of God. Not the will of God. God had nothing to do with that. He told them, no, he told them to wait. He said, I don't want that. God actually told them they shouldn't do that. They should wait, but they insisted. God says they've set up kings and princes, but not by me. So are Calvinists saying that this is wrong then? That this is wrong, that this is a lie, this is not true, this is not accurate. And then we just go over to this other absolute, just blasphemously absurd nonsense. God desired man to fall into sin. Now... There's a lot of things that, that, that could be said about that, but it wouldn't be very proper. That is some of the most ridiculous, absurd, fantastically stupid doctrine I have ever come across when I discovered Calvinism. That idea right there, God desires man to fall into sin. Now you do realize he's not alone in this. For we, if we take a look, if we take a look here, John MacArthur says the same thing. John MacArthur, from his uh, his work, The Vanishing Conscience, says, ultimately, we must concede that sin is something God meant to happen. He planned for it. God ordained it. God decreed it. Sin, evil, and all its consequences were included in God's eternal decree. This is a Calvinistic belief. God desired man to fall into sin. God ordained it, decreed it, willed it, wanted it to happen. So, are you literally telling me, let's blow away the fluff and feathers, stop beating around the bush, stop dancing around, and just, just be 100% truthfully honest, and flat out tell me, just adamantly right here, are you literally telling me that God ordained, decreed, will, desired for man to become Satanists, human sacrificers, baby sacrificers, rapists, murderers, blasphemers, thieves, the, uh, uh, worshippers of Satan. Are you literally telling me that all of the evil, wicked, satanic, disgusting, immoral, horrible, wicked things that go on in the world, that that's literally the will of God? Is that what you're saying? That God desires men to worship Satan and rape people and murder children and, and eat other people and do all kinds of other disgusting things. Are you telling me that's the, that's the will of God? Well, John MacArthur says so. 
John MacArthur flat out says so. And R.C. Sproul flat out says so. And when you actually take a look at the Calvinistic writings, that's what they believe. And not not just that, but hyper-Calvinism, Calvinism in general, like Calvinism believes that Jesus Christ did not love all the world. He only loved a specific select chosen elect, and he deliberately restricted, limited his blood atonement only for this special select chosen elect because God wants all these others to burn in hell. God does not love all the world. He only loves this special select chosen elect. He doesn't love them. He wants them to burn in hell. Babies born who are not the specially select chosen ones, these babies, even if the baby dies in the womb, that baby will burn in hell for all eternity. And that God uh, uh, God forces people to be saved, even against their will, even if they don't want to be saved, he'll force you to be saved and that, that you have no choice, no option, and, and all this. And... We got the, the total depravity that you can't even make a choice for God. You can't even choose anything. That's the T, um, U, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. They corrupt and twist and change the gospel. They turn God into a demonic monster, a God who has darkness in him. When the Bible says in him is no darkness, God cannot lie. Well, the Calvinistic God lies. The Calvinistic God has darkness. The Calvinistic God desires man to sin. And we also take a look at something that John Calvin, John Calvin actually said, was that God and Satan both desire the same thing. Just God also desires that men would be saved but god and satan both desire the same thing that's what john calvin said and the calvinists say oh you don't know what you're talking about you just don't understand calvinism you just don't understand calvinism you're right you're absolutely right i don't understand calvinism because i do not understand how a person could read this, say they believe in this, and come up with that, and follow that, and twist that to fit this, or twist this to fit that. I, I don't understand how you can see that the two are meshable. I don't understand that. How, how this book that says God is infinitely holy, pure, righteous, altogether lovely. In him is no darkness, a shadow of turning. And he gives not the spirit of heaviness, but the spirit of truth and peace. And that uh, uh, God cannot lie. He's not the author of confusion. But then you say that God desires men to sin. God created sin. That God is the author of sin. The, he's the originator of sin. And that God wills that man would sin. And, and this book that says that God so loved the world. He is atonement for, for all, all the people of the world. And on and on and on about that. God, God is not willing that any should perish. But then you go over here and say that God does desire that men, some should perish. God does not want everyone to be saved. God does not love all the world. And God is willing that many should burn in hell. 
I don't understand how you could call yourself a Calvinist and hold to the Bible because it makes literally, literally no sense. Makes no sense. I, I don't understand it. I really don't. But also what I want to do is also address something, uh, some accusations brought against me uh, when I bring up these uh, these things about Calvinism and how just absolutely, utterly, mind-numbingly ridiculous Calvinism is. And people say, well, you, you slam Calvinism all the time. And, and but yet you post posts by Charles Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle and these others when they were Calvinists. Right. Right. And. But I thought you I thought you were against Calvinism. I am against Calvinism. I'm not against the gospel. How many Christians do you know, born again Christians who are flat earthers? That make them not our brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, you, you, I thought you said Calvinism cha changes a lot of stuff. It changes the Bible. It does. It does. But that doesn't mean they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Can a born-again Christian fall into error? Can a born-again Christian be deceived into Calvinism? Well, yeah. Can a born-again Christian be deceived? Yeah. Can, can a Christian come to wrong ideas about some things? Yeah. Can they be taken advantage of by other ideologies and other doctrines? Yeah. But if these individuals, like Spurgeon, believes in the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith to belief alone, period, believes in the gospel according to scripture, he's our brother in Christ. Anyone who believes in the Lord God Jesus Christ by grace through faith by belief alone, period, and what Christ did for them for their salvation on the cross and how he's buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, they accept that, believe that, and, and they confess that out of the fullness of faith, out of the uh, out of the abundance of their heart, they speak with their mouth and confess that Christ, they are born again saved. That's what the Bible says. So, so all because I'm against Calvinism doesn't mean that I think these people are not saved. But, but, but I thought you said limited atonement changes the gospel. It does. That's why I hate it. That's why I speak against it. Charles Spurgeon didn't believe in limited atonement. And we take a look at, at some of these other guys, and they're preaching this thing on limited atonement. Could they have been deceived into that? Well, yeah. And it does change the gospel. But if someone comes to the Bible, and uh, they hear that preaching... They're not saved and they hear that preaching of the limited atonement, that changing of the gospel. That could be a serious, serious danger. And that these ones will have to give an account to the Lord for what they've done. Preaching lordship salvation and uh, limited atonement and all this other nonsense. It just doesn't make sense. It, it's dangerous. Calvinism is a danger. It is a mental disease that alters the gospel. That's my stance on it. That's my opinion on it. And if that offends you, well... You need to go study your Bible because nothing in the Bible supports the Calvinistic model. I'm telling you right now. I have read it. I have studied it. I have heard it. I have debated it again and again. I do know what it's all about. And I'm telling you right now that Calvinism does not mesh with the Bible. Calvinism changes the Bible. It changes the very words. It's, it's, uh, 
intellectual dishonesty. It's a it's cognitive dissonance on the Bible where they literally change and alter the very meanings of the words. Because if you actually take these passages that they use to support Calvinism, and you take these verses and actually study them in the Koine Greek and, and the Hebrew and all this stuff, and look, actually the meanings of the words, it's utterly different than what the Calvinist is presenting. All means all. World means world. It, they're not limited specific descriptors. These are words used for a general all-inclusive. But they literally rewrite the Bible to fit this model. just i'm telling you that's that's what it is if you don't believe me well that's your choice you're allowed to believe whatever you want but do the study stop interpreting the bible through the lens of other people do the work yourself look at it up yourself do the word study that look what the bible says let alone as you see in peter it says god is not willing that any should perish look up the word any but it, but desires that all men everywhere to be saved. look at the word all what do those mean in the greek what is God actually saying in Scripture and Scripture alone? See, they, they shout sola scriptura, but they don't believe it. The Calvinist does not believe in sola scriptura. They say they do, but they don't. They're deceiving themselves. They believe in sola Calvin. They believe in Calvin alone. They interpret the Bible through the lens of Calvin. They don't believe the Bible alone. I have debated countless Calvinists. I've studied it. I've read it. I've researched it. And this is what it comes down to. And Calvinism is absolute nonsense that verges on blasphemy and heresy. It's extremely, extremely dangerous. And all the Calvinists can say in return is, well, you just don't believe God is sovereign and you just don't understand Calvinism. That's, that's their go-to every time. Every time. You present them with the facts that, that disprove their stance, and they just get mad, and they just start accusing you falsely, and just say, you just don't understand it. That's like what the atheist says, that the, the Muslim says, that's what other religions say, it's what the cults say. Because Calvinism is a cult. It's a, it's a cult of elitism that we are the special chosen of God. God loves me. He doesn't love you. That whole thing. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. To which place shall you go? I want you to be saved. I want you to burn in hell. I want you to be saved. You could burn in hell. That's, that's Calvinism. This, this, this monster up there that, that created sin and desires man to sin and then punishes man for sinning when God is the one responsible, not man. You see, this is what it is, is we're not responsible for our sin. God is. That if I kill, murder, rape, steal, destroy, or worship the devil, that's God's fault. I'm off the hook, technically, and God's just punishing me for something he did. That's Calvinism. God desired man to sin. God created sin and then punishes man for sinning when it's all God's fault. The Aztec human sacrificers, God's fault. The, the Haitian voodoo that, who are cannibalizing each other, God's fault. The, the, the guy who raped that woman over there and killed her, God's fault. The guy that robbed the bank and shot people, God's fault. 
That's not the God of the Bible. But you just don't understand Calvinism. Okay. Go back to your bubble. I'm telling you, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. I, it, it leaves you just kind of stunned and shocked and just speechless. It is so absurd. It's so absurd. And uh, and people don't understand that. It got, uh, when you look at the character of God, the description of God in the Bible, God cannot allow sin in his presence. It flat out says that God does not allow sin in his presence. How is he the originator of sin then? How did he create sin? If he can't allow sin in his presence. If God cannot lie. How is he responsible for lying? If in him is no darkness. How does he create darkness? God is not the author of confusion. How does he create confusion then? It doesn't make sense. That's stupid. It's, that's literally the definition of stupidity. You can tell it just melts my brain. I, I lose IQ points every time I try to understand Calvinism. It is, it, it, it's just nonsense. It's just word vomit. That's all it is and if you actually go back and take a look at the origin of it where did john calvin get these ideas where did john calvin get these ideas hmm augustine guess what augustine was not a christian if you actually take a look at the actual doctrines of augustine and the history, the autobiographies, all this stuff that's about his life and about him. He was a Gnostic. He was a Gnostic, a practicing Gnostic that converted to Roman Catholicism. And he, and he just tried to Christianize a lot of his Gnostic ideas. And he's the father of a lot of the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. You know the Gnostic ideas of, of the, uh, oh, what's it called? The Demiurge? The, 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 uh, the God that's also a monster? So he Christianized the Gnostic God, which is responsible for evil. And he poured that descriptor upon the God of the Bible and he Christianized it. And this is where John Calvin got his ideas. John Calvin based his ideas off of Augustine. Do the study, do the research, look it up. You'll see that. That's what it is. Calvinism is based on that. And they've taken this and they keep trying to justify and validate. They keep trying to prove it. They keep trying to justify according to the Bible. They twist the Bible. They change the words, change the meanings, alter the scriptures. And they preach John Calvin as an apostle. If you say anything is John Calvin, it's like slapping Paul. It's Calvinism is a cult of elitism that takes that puts all of the onus on God and man is not responsible for sin.
There you go. That's my rant. That's my rant. And if that bothers you, if that triggers you, if that if that offends you, well, I, I, I don't mean to offend. But if the truth offends, then so be it, because it's the truth. Show me from the Bible how I'm wrong. Show me from the Bible how I'm wrong. Okay. With that, what a way to start today, eh? All right. <clears throat> um, yeah, exactly. Deflecting personal accountability, as Dana says here. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into this all over again. I don't want to keep going. Uh, okay. Is there anything I missed in that? Oh, my word. There's a lot here. Okay, let's go down through... Okay, going down through the comments here. See if I missed anything. Oh, doesn't look like it. Okay. <clears throat> so again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything you'd like to talk about, please go ahead, ask away. All right, so the next thing that I want to talk about, and now also, just FYI, uh, normally, we, like I said, we would go over to Reddit and take a look at some questions there and some topics and stuff, but unfortunately, Reddit is going through this political upsurge thing and people are protesting on reddit by by blacking out their subs so you can't even access them so i can't use reddit right now to find any questions and stuff so i'm just having to try to think up some stuff to talk about so i have a couple things on the board so if there's other things you would like to discuss please bring it up and we'll try to get to that if we can um again we answer things in sequence of order they come in so yeah all right, uh, with that, uh, what I want to talk about is uh, something that's uh, weighing on me over the past little while. And it's something, and it's come up again and again. And I want to talk about settling. Now, what I mean by this is for second best, spiritually. Now, this past week, we've talked an awful lot about serving the Lord out of the fullness and sincerity and zealousness of the Lord. And what does that mean? And I was talking with a friend of mine. And uh, the, uh, the, the picture, the image that came to my mind about this and what we got talking about is like following the Lord through the wilderness. And there's the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire before you, leading you through the wilderness. And we see as scripture talks about us striving for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that we, we are to strive, we are to fight and pursue and to push on. And that we, we are to serve the Lord in, 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 in fear and love. And, and we are to die to self, forsake all, follow him. But in, in this, that day after day after day, fighting and pursuing the Lord... Fighting against the self, fighting against the world, fighting against the flesh, and pursuing the Lord. Many Christians get tired. Many Christians get tired. Many Christians grow weary. They grow weak in this. And they get exhausted. They get exhausted in serving the Lord. And they settle for second best. The Lord has has a plan, He has a goal, He has a direction for you 
and we wind up kind of just settling, uh, giving up. See, the enemy brings along, while we're following the Lord, brings along what would seem to be like oh, an oasis. In the wilderness, suddenly there's a little oasis, there's a stream, there's a little spring of water and a, with shade, and you could sit down and rest. You could stop following for a while, and you could just sit down and rest on this oasis and these distractions. But unbeknownst to you, they're bitter waters, or it's drying up, or there's, there's something wrong, and it just leads you into bitterness and chaos in your life. And instead of following the Lord adamantly, what he says in his word we have ideas, suggestions, options of our own that we settle for instead of giving ourselves to the Lord fully. So if we see, we see what the Lord has to say on this. Settling for second best as settling for our own ideas, of our own feelings. People say, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. I may not understand what you're going through, but the Lord does, and he wrote in his word what you should do. The Lord has a response. He has a suggestion. God has an option here. That's why Jesus says in John 15, 7, if, if you abide in me. Why would God say if? Why would God give you an option? There's also is a, uh, an answer for Calvinism. Why Why would God say if? Why would God say if you abide in me and my words abide in you? Why would God say that like as if you have a suggestion, you have an option, that you have a choice if man doesn't have free will? Why would Joshua say choose you this day whom you will serve if you can't choose? I'm just saying. And we take a look at this. Jesus says if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Well, what happens if? If we choose to follow him, to cast away the nets and follow him, God gives us a choice. He lays before us the choice of man and his choice. Which are you going to walk? You can't walk both. You can't walk both paths. You can't walk the path of your emotions, your feelings, your frustrations, your pain of what's going on in your life and trying to figure things out on your own and try to follow the Lord at the same time. You can't be done. You can't walk both paths. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Yep, as the Bible says, you have to you have to let go of one and cling to the other. You have to cling to the one and let go of the other. The Bible says that. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and flesh. You can't serve God and emotion. You can't serve God and self. You can't serve God and the world. It's one or the other. But often what we do is we grow tired of following the Lord because it's a battle, just as the Bible says it is. It's a war. But what happens if the soldier on the battlefield just says, oh, I'm tired, I can't fight anymore, just sits down and gives up? You can't do that. You're going to be overtaken, overrun, you're going to be destroyed. You have to keep pressing on, you have to keep pushing on, you have to follow the Lord. And the Lord knows your weaknesses. He knows our limits. He knows where the rest stops are. And the Lord will look after you. He knows when you get thirsty, he'll, he'll bring water from the rock. He knows when you get hungry, he'll bring the manna. He knows what you need and he'll provide. And, but many Christians just don't trust him enough. 
Christians try to pack uh, pack their pockets full, stuff their pockets full of all of their own things, of their own food, of their own water, of their own substance, of their own entertainment in an attempt to follow the Lord. But that's why the Lord says, forsake all, let it all go. Just grab your staff and your script and follow me, the Lord says. But we try to read the map instead of God. We pull the map out of God's hand and we try to call the shots. We try to steer it. We, tr we try to direct the car. We try to steer the ship. But the Lord says to let go. Cast all your care upon me. I will care for you. I will direct your paths. I am the light to your feet. I know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But many Christians settle for second best. They, they, go, they go only so far, and then they quit. Like the tribe of Gad. that uh, As they were coming up to the promised land, the tribe of Gad didn't want to go any further, and they just settled on the other side of Jordan, and they, and they didn't take the land that was on in the promised land. They took the land that was on the other side of Jordan, and not with the rest of the tribes. Many Christians are like Gad, and they, they settle for second best. Close enough, but not all the way. Close enough, but not all the way. They say they love the Lord, but in works dishonor him. we got to be careful about, about, about talking about our own zealousness and sincerity and how we love the lord and love christ and love his word but we keep trying to call the shots and figure things out on our own we can't do that that's biblical dishonesty that's spiritual dishonesty you're deceiving yourself you say you love the Lord, but then you, but out of your own feelings and frustrations, your own troubles, your own trials, your own circumstances, it get it weighs down on you. And instead of casting it all on the Lord and trusting in Him to deal with it all, we try to call the shots. That's settling for second best. That's dragging God into our decisions instead of going to Him and casting all on Him. We go to Him. And we set and we demand him. We say, God, I have an idea. We're gonna do this. We can't do that. We can't do that. Settling for ourselves. We're saved. We're born again saved. But we're trusting in ourselves and not the Lord. We're trusting in ourselves. But the Lord says that we cannot trust in ourselves. A heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? Our tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And how our minds are corrupted by sin. How can we trust in ourselves? We can't believe ourselves. We lie to ourselves multiple, multiple, multiple times a day. We, we cannot trust our own selves. Our flesh fights against us, wars against us, wars against the spirit. How can we trust in our own decisions? How can you trust your own emotions? Emotions lie all the time. Our emotions lie all the time. How can we trust our emotions? In a moment of heated frustration, it corrupts our logic and reason. And that's when we try to make our life decisions. We can't do that. You know, the Bible says, and let not the sun go down on your wrath, but our minds will be held captive by the word of God in prayer. 
but that we're supposed to write the word of God upon our hearts. We're supposed to uh, meditate on the word of God day and night. And we're supposed to take all things to the Lord and trust in him with all our hearts and lean not to our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, for he will direct our paths. We can't settle for our decisions. We can't settle for our feelings, emotions, and desires. We can't do that. We have to trust in the Lord in all things and look to him in all things. But people who have already settled for second best fire back, well, you just don't understand. You just don't understand what I'm going through. And like as if somehow everything that I just said, according to the word of God, is irrelevant. Does not apply to them because their problems are so bad to them right now. That somehow what God has to say doesn't apply. And that's settling for second best. When God does have an option, he does have a way, he does ha have a path for us. He, he does guide us through the mountains and the valleys. And, and our, walking our way to the promised land, there's going to be valleys of death and destruction and hard, hardness and hardship and circumstance situations that will try even the best of us. But the Lord knows and he says, I will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. The Lord knows our limits. He knows where the rope will break. He knows where the cliff edge is. And he will not lead us past that. He promised. God promised. And God cannot lie. Unlike the Calvinistic God, it can. God cannot lie. He says, I will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. Do you trust him enough that when you come to the Red Seas and Egypt is barreling down on you and all hope seems lost, but instead of surrendering to Egypt, you can just trust God to part the sea. But so many Christians just can't. And they are the Israelites crying out in the wilderness can God furnish a, a, a meal in the wilderness? Oh, if we had good, just stayed in Egypt. Oh, if we just go back. What if we turned around and what if we surrendered to Egypt? What if, what if, they're the ones that are belly aching and belly aching and belly aching and belly aching and tempting God. Don't be like that. Don't tempt God with your second best. So, just something to think about. What does the word of God have to say about second best, about settling, about giving up, quitting, surrendering? Faint not in prayer, the Bible says. Be not double-minded, the Bible says. Uh, James 1, 6-7, But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Let's not be like waves of the sea. Let's not be double-minded. Thinking for ourselves and saying we trust in the Lord. You, 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 you can't. You have to pick one and despise the other. You have to choose one and let go of the other. That's what God says. Okay. And with this, I want to use this as a segue uh, to go into my next topic here. And that's dealing with the past. 
dealing with hardships and things and issues and problems of our past. This has come up time to time and some friends of mine go through this and other people I talk to and counsel struggle with this and um, it's an ongoing thing and it comes up for me too personally once in a while as I, I go through periods of remembering my past and struggling with, with things and the Lord talks to me constantly about this stuff. And I, 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 I don't want to give the impression that I know exactly what you're going through. I can only talk from my personal experience based upon what the Word of God says. So what I want to share with you, again, if you haven't heard this, please pretend... Well, if you have heard this, please pretend you haven't heard it. If you ha haven't heard this, please just give me a moment. As a person who is medically and psychologically diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, who went to psychological therapy for a few years, who contemplated suicide and almost ended their life multiple times and struggled with severe depression, anxiety disorder, panic attacks constantly, consistently due to issues and problems of severe bullying from my childhood to uh, having people literally try to kill me number of times personally in person. Uh, people... Uh, dealing with fights and extreme uh, first aid calls that just after a while just weigh, weighs down your mind to coming across individuals that I, I just situations that I can't even really talk about because it's so severe and for years and 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 years till it finally breaks your brain to to literally having a, your your psychological therapist literally tell you your brain is broken and this is how you're going to be for the rest of your life that's what they told me my brain is broken and that's how you're going to be for the rest of your life so i kind of feel that i'm in a position to talk about these kinds of things because I'm an example of how the Lord can fix a broken life and a broken mind. I know what I'm talking about in this one. You see, we go. people talk about going to therapy and I actually believe it or not last month just a few weeks ago i actually had a psychological therapist get mad at me tell me that i am spreading false medical advice that i am leading people into danger and that i that i'm i'm abusing and misrepresenting that the psychological field and that that i'm a danger and a threat to the mental health of people because i insist on the bible alone 
They literally told me that. And they called themselves a born-again Christian therapist. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says because I have absolute... I have lost. I'm telling you right now. I have lost all feelings of validation to the psychological uh, therapy field because nothing they can tell you is better than this god is our wonderful counselor He's our counselor. But people run to man instead of God. They take the advice uh, of the Freudians instead of God. They, they, go, they go to these people and what do they get you to do? What do they do? What do they do? You sit down and what do they want you to do? What do they want you to do? Relive it. Relive it. Again. Again. Let's look at this detail of this thing we're reliving again. Let's go over this detail, this detail, this. How does that make you feel? 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 And it's over and 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 over again. What does God say? Let's go to Isaiah 43 just for a moment. Isaiah 43, 18. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 3 and verses uh, 13 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before i press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of god in christ jesus god says stop reliving it forget it let it go don't talk about it cast it away cast all your care upon me let your mind be established on the word of God in prayer. Let their mind be established on the Lord. Write his word upon your heart. Think upon these things. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and lovely and pure and, and all the fruits of the spirit. Let, let your mind be on these things. Think on these things. This is what the Lord says. But what, is the, what, what does psychology say? Think, think about the terrible things. Relive it. Go over it again. How does that make you feel? the negative things god says no god says no god says okay what has happened to you give that to me stop thinking about it what's going on give that to me stop thinking about it that's what the lord says and guess what i did I had fallen into such an absolute state of depression. After the therapist told me, after the psychologist and the doctors told me 
that I am mentally and psychologically diagnosed the post-traumatic stress disorder. My brain is broken and this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life. You know what that did to me? That literally almost killed me. I was actually talking to my wife again about this just uh, uh, last week. About what that did to me. I spiraled into such a depression that I saw myself as an absolute useless, worthless individual. Because now I'm married, I'm a, I'm useless as a husband. I can't provide anymore because I literally can't go outside because of the crowds. I can't even drive a car anymore because I can't handle the stress. I can't go to crowds. I could hardly go to church. Going to church would sometimes make me have panic attacks and I would have an emotional mental breakdown in church crying in front of everybody and shaking because I literally can't handle it. I had fallen to such a despair and depression that I contemplated suicide because I'm a useless husband. I'm just a waste of space. And now my wife is going to have to care for this for the rest of our marriage. Like I even considered how can I kill myself? How can I do this? So, so that my wife can still get the insurance money. I, I literally went through my mind. Because they told me, relive, relive, go over it again. This is now, this is your problem. This is who you are. You're going to have to live this. You're just going to have to learn to deal with it. You're going to have to learn to live with it. And then one, one, one day, my wife is at work. And I'm at home and I'm praying. I don't know what to do. I can't get a job. I can't. I don't know what to do. And all of my past and all these things are going on and through my mind. This is who I am. This is what the, the, what life has done to me. This is what the world has done to me. This is who I am now. This is who I am now. And then a voice broke through it all. And God says, what about me? What about me? Uh, and I said, what about you? So you've tried everything else. You've gone to the doctors. You've gone to the therapist. You've done this. You've done that. But what about me? What about what I say? What about what I can do? And I started thinking about that. And I turned to the Lord and I asked him, well, then could you show me? Could you show me? And the Lord walked me through these scriptures, forgetting the things of the past. Cast all your care upon me. I am the wonderful counselor. I change the minds. I change the hearts. I change the lives. I have power. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
He strengthens me. He gives me the life. He gives me the day. He gives me my breath. He's he's the one that holds me together. And, and he does all things, can do all things. He can raise the dead, heal the sick. He can fix the broken hearts, the broken minds. He gives the words to preach. He teaches you how to pray. He guides all things. His mercies are new every morning. And on and on and on and on and on. And if, 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 if. You choose to abide in him, live in him in all things. Give all things to him. Guess what happens? I haven't had a uh, PTSD attack for years now. I who couldn't even hardly go to church and street preaching now I who could hardly get up in the morning a pastor of a church doing regular online broadcast uh, Bible studies counseling scores of people teaching scores of people go going to uh, other churches and preaching at their churches at the, the the Lord has done I was in a severe downward spiral of depression anxiety and possible suicide the Lord fixed my brain doctors who gave up on me who told me this is who I am for the rest of my life and I'm just going to live with it my brain is broken and that's all I am. And their, their suggestion was just throw pills at me. Just take the pills. Take the pills. Accept who you are and take the pills. If it gets worse, we got more pills for you. Exactly. The great physician. The God says. How do you fix the past? Forget about it. Well, you can't just forget about it because those things happen and they can affect the mind. God alters the mind. Are you seriously replacing the Lord with your own Freudian therapy? Are you seriously telling me that the psychologist has better advice than God? Are you seriously telling me therapy is better than prayer? Are you seriously telling me pills is better than prayer and fasting? Are you seriously telling me that psychologists are better than biblical counselors? Are you seriously telling me this world has better advice than what God has already said? But the modern Christian, the modern Christian, the ones that settle for second best, say, say well, God can help, but, but we need to know no you can't serve god and mammon you can't pick both paths you can't choose second best and first best you can't follow the lord and man you can't choose god and the world you can't choose the the scriptures and physical psychological therapy you can't serve uh, the bible and freud you can't you pick one and despise the other god says forsake all follow me but could you imagine what would happen if we had more Christians that took that to heart and followed it? And we have a pill for every ill, says, says the pharmacy. What about going to God first? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, talks about Asa. 
Asa, who is sick in his feet because he ran to the physicians instead of running to God. You know, the Bible talks about those that forsake the Lord, how the, how the Lord will chastise. And, and sometimes illnesses and diseases and these things can come upon people because they are not following the Lord and the Lord is disciplining them. Have you ever thought that maybe if you gave yourself to the Lord lock, stock, and barrel, things would get better? in this way that the lord lord will give you more peace soundness of mind he can help you he can fix you he can change your mind he can change your life did you ever consider that stop looking at the world's suggestions second best give yourself to the lord and how do you do that cut it off cut it off you know the doc the doc had given me a bottle of pills. These pills that would almost like tranquilizers. I forget what they are, but they were for if I'm having a panic attack, a PTSD attack, I just take one of these and it'll numb the brain. I never took one. What but that at the point that they wound up giving these to me. It was when I, had, when I had already chosen the Lord. And they gave me this bottle of pills and said, you need to take these. I brought them home and I set them on the counter and I never touched them. But I left them there. To remind me, it's a choice. Some days it got really hard. Some days it was hard. And I remember leaning on the counter and I'm staring at the pills and I could take one. I could take one and it would numb my brain. It would help me for the day. Or I could just grit my teeth. Trust the Lord. I could pray and pray and pray and trust the Lord. And he helped me every single time. He never failed me once. But to trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not some. It's a choice. You must choose you this day whom you will serve. This day. One at a time. Take no thought of the morrow. Forgetting the things of the past. Choose you this day. One day at a time. And the Lord does. I am a living example of living by faith. I'm an example. I had determined, as my dad gave me the book on George Mueller, and about the man who lived by faith, one of the greatest examples of living by faith. He never asked a person for help. He never asked a person for a penny or anything. He just prayed about and trusted the Lord 100%. And look what the Lord did with George Mueller. I took that to heart and I wanted to prove it because that was in the 1800s. That was in the 1800s, folks. And I, I, I want you to understand I am not boasting. I am not blowing my own horn or any of that kind of thing. But I had determined at that point that what I was going to do as I was going to prove in the 21st century, in our technological age of pharmacy, technology, and science, and medicine, and, and, and discoveries, all this stuff today, that today when people deny the supernatural, I wanted to prove to the world living by faith is real. And I did. 
and I am. To this day, I'm still living it. I'm living it. I'm a living example. I followed George Mueller's example of just pray about it and trust the Lord enough that to wait on the Lord enough to see the Lord work through it and to not try to rush God. Don't try to tell him your ideas. You give up, surrender, you die to self, you stop making your own decisions and you just honest to God, wait on him. You wait. Stop trying to rush him. He said, God said, he said, ask and you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. But the vast majority of Christians are impatient. I need the idea now. I need the help now. I need, I need, I need God's help now. And they rush him and they settle for second best. And then they wonder why we don't see miracles today because you didn't allow him time to work. To wait on God enough. Stop trusting in anyone else but the Lord. You say you have faith. Show the faith by your works. And what's the works? Waiting. Wait on Him. When you trust in the Lord, ask. And whatsoever you ask of me, I will do it. Did he lie? Well, the Calvinists say he could. But did God lie? No. Was he exaggerating? No. Then why did he say that? Then why did God say, Whatsoever you ask of me, I will do it. Why did he say that? If he didn't mean that. Why would he say, asking you shall receive, seeking shall find, knocking shall be opened to you, if he didn't mean it? If, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Why did he say that if he didn't mean it? But the key, the key, the key is John 15, 7. If. If. That little word. That little word right there, if, is the key to everything. It's the key to everything. It's the key to salvation. If you believe on the Lord. Because God presents it to you. It's a gift. He shows you. He enlightens you. He gives you all the understanding. And he says, now will you take it? If you do, you will be saved. And then in following the Lord, if you follow me, if you trust in me, if you abide in me, if it's a choice every day, it's a choice in every moment, you can settle for the pills. You can go to the therapists. You can run to the surgeons and the doctors. Or you could run to the Lord. You can run in fear and get the shots and do the stuff and run to man and, and try to scheme and plan and figure and lose sleepless nights and trying to make your own decisions to settle for second best. Or you can choose the Lord.
if. Why did God say if, if we don't have a choice? That's my question. Why did God say if you abide in me? If you abide. If you abide. It's a choice to stay planted, rooted, grounded, living, day in, day out, night and day, 24-7, 365, in a determined decision. It's what it is. If you abide means to live in me. And my word, my word, not yours or anyone else, my word abides in you. It's a twofold. It's not just living in him and then do, doing your own decisions and going to your own words. No, no, abiding in him and his word abides in you. These two things, these two things make up the whole key. It's a double-sided key. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask. Not before. You can't just abide in me and only partially accept my word and expect to receive an answer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's the whole word of God, of the whole counsel of God, of everything he said on every topic, of everything that goes on. This is your life, your light, your breath, your authority on literally, absolutely every aspect of faith and practice of faith. You surrendered to the Lord. And the Lord's word, the Lord's authority. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is relevant. This is the only thing that's relevant, is the word of God. How do you settle the past? How do you fix the problems? How do you know how to live? You die to self. No one else's opinion matters. You know how many people told me that, that quitting my job and just giving myself into ministry 100% and not, and not thinking about income was nonsense and that I'm endangering my life and I'm not providing for my family and that you can't live that way, it's not going to work, you're going to get in trouble and all that. You know how many people told me that? A lot. And I took it all to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you said, you said this, you promised, and Lord, I trust you over what they're saying. I'm giving myself to you to serve you 100%. I don't care what they say. Lord, you can't lie, and you promised, and I'm taking you at your word. That was in 2016. That's 2016, and we're still going. I never looked back. To give yourself to the Lord, to surrender yourself to the Lord, is a full life decision. You have no safety net. There is no bridge to go back. You burn the bridges. You cut off the safety net. There's no second chances. There's no other option. There's no escape plan. There's no escape hatch. It's all in 100% do or die. 
And if you are not willing to give it that kind of a choice, then you don't understand yet. It's all in. It's all in. It's all in. Forsake all. Die to self. Forsake all. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. To give him all your heart, all your mind, all your faith. Watch God work. But the problem of today, the problem of today, is we have way too many options. It's a spider web of paths and options and everything that the enemy has deliberately built to blur the lines and confuse the way to go. You know what you need to do? Forsake all. And follow this. You don't know where to go? This is the map. This is the guide. This is the instruction. This is the GPS. This tells us where to go, what to do in every aspect of every kind of thing. There's an answer for every single question in the Word of God. But you must forsake all. You must forget the past. You have to let it go. You can't stop. You can't... You you, you can't relive it. You, you can't keep holding on to it. You got to stop. You have to just brush it off. Well, you don't understand what horrible things happened. Do you not think that Apostle Paul is kind of an authority on letting go of things of the past? Destroying churches, killing saints, blaspheming Christ, persecuting Christians. Do you not think that maybe he kind of knows what he's talking about when he says forget the things of the past? Do you not think that he had a horrible past? But God spoke to him and God says forget the things of the past. Do you not think God kind of knows what he's talking about when God says forget the things of the past? Exactly. What about Job? What'd he do? God told him, shut up. <laughs> he kept going on about, what was me? What was me? All the hor these horrible things, all these horrible things. And God told him, basically, shut up. Trust in me. Look to me. Does the thing form say to him which formed it? Why have you made me thus? And God told him off about, about all of this. Told him, just trust in him. And then Job finally learned the lesson. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job stopped caring about it. Gave it all to the Lord because the, uh, the Lord knows how to fix all problems. He knows how to lead you through the hardships. He knows how to get through the fire. He knows where the escape hatch is. God knows how to get to the promised land. Or you can sit down and wring your hands and say, oh, woe is me like Eeyore. But modern Christians don't want to do that. Modern Christians love wallowing in misery, love talking about and reveling in and rehashing the troubles and the problems over and over again, using these things as an excuse and crutch so as to not give it all to the Lord.
tell me I'm wrong. Forgetting the things of the past, I press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If, this will happen if, you abide in me and my word abides in you. Cast all your care upon him for he careth for you. All your care. And forget about it. That's what the Lord says. I'm an example of it. I was absolutely horrendously broken. Mentally, psychologically, in every way, physically, I was absolutely destroyed. I was nothing but a sobbing, shaking, wretched mess. Was. Emphasis on was. The Lord is able, if we would but let him. So, with that, we take a look at what the Lord is able to do. Now, how do we then consider how to go about this? And this is where I want to talk about something I actually haven't talked about in a while. And, and that is the mystic faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Please bear with me. Please do not jump to assumptions. Please do not try to put words in my own mouth. But just listen to what I'm saying here. The Lord has a plan. And what he's looking for are individuals who are willing to listen to him. Willing to take him seriously. And I see that the vast majority of the problem comes with physical Christians. Who only see Christianity through a physical lens. But as Charles Spurgeon talked about, you know, the faith is more real to me than you are. How does that work? And in studying and reading the scriptures and understanding where I came from, my past, what I was and things I went through and who I am now, and I see quite clearly the error and the flaw of physical Christianity. What do I mean by that? Well, worship is just physical worship. Charity is physical charity. Going to church, singing the hymns, and the, these, these are physical actions and physical things. You're sitting down and you're hearing words and the faith in, the, in you turning everything to just that which affects just physical life. But what does the Bible show and Bible tell? Like, if you look, for example, look at the prophets. Look how they lived. Look, look how they operated. How they saw things. How they lived things. Their reasoning. Their intellect. Their, 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 their logic. Look at how they saw things. Look at the apostles. But Jesus taught them for, for, for years there in the ministry. And finally, they got it. They saw it. Now look how they operated. Look how they reasoned and thought and lived. Look how the Lord used them. And you look at people like 
Tozer, Spurgeon, Hudson Taylor, Eugenia Price, Amy Carmichael. You look at these individuals and how they see the faith, how they see life, how they see things, how they operate in their reasoning, their logic. You see, contemplation, to contemplate, to sit down and to mull it over. To contemplate what? What are you contemplating? You see, it comes down to what we give our minds to. Let your mind be established on the word of God. So we see his word is written upon our hearts. Meditation. What is meditation according to the word of God? We see, we know what the world calls meditation. You know, like the Buddhists and the gurus, they sit down, they, they, they okay, empty your mind of everything and bang the gong. You know, the stupid, brainless, mindless, empty, empty-minded meditation. That's not meditation, that's just being dumb. We take a look what the Bible says medita meditation to meditate upon that means to chew the fat to mull it over again i.e. similar to contemplate what what are we meditating on we see supernatural activities miracles signs and wonders answered prayers an answered prayer is a miracle now I want you to really 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 think about that one just for a moment you are sitting down or standing you're sitting down and you are talking to someone out there that you can't see you can't audibly hear you believe that there's a god and you are talking to him and you are asking him a specific thing. And shortly thereafter, that specific thing that you specifically asked about happens. Who did that? Who's answering my prayers? That's a miracle. That's supernatural. Supernatural activities. People being supernaturally healed from illnesses and diseases and all kinds of things. All kinds of things are being answered by prayer. That's that's miraculous. It's mystical. Let's look at this. These are things that scripture regularly teaches. But due to the push of the traditionalist, of the cessationists, but due to the push of traditionalist religion and legalistic bias of terms, we have to regulate ourselves and hide our understandings and actions. Those of us who believe in the miraculous and all these things are having to deliberately limit ourselves due to the fearful and the afraid and the faithless. The fearful and the afraid and the faithless are controlling the majority of churches. But we see in Psalms 63, verse 6, When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, the issue is regulation of term bias, creating knee-jerk fear of explanations when the practice itself is right, only that the enemy tries to twist the practice. Like, for example, meditation. If I talk about meditation, people are immediately going to assume, Brother Matthew's te teaching old cult. Brother Matthew's got new age because he's saying the word meditate. 
How many times is the word meditate in the Bible? Meditation in the Bible. A lot. And technically, meditation is true. Meditation is right. The way that God explains it. And this is the word that is in the Bible. The enemy tries to twist the practice and create perverted forms so as to invalidate that which God has said, and we wind up self-censoring out of fear. So technically this is true about us, but we avoid the terms because of the masses misunderstanding the terms due to the enemy corrupting the practice. And because many of these approaches to faith have been taken and perverted in different ways, out of fear of that and the legalistic term bias and all the rest of this, we wind up avoiding the practices altogether. We recoil. The term is true, but the world's twisting of the practice is wrong. So, biblical mysticism. Well, what is mysticism? The practice of the mystic. What is a mystic? Well, if you actually look at the, the actual base definition, now just bear with me, the, the, the meaning of the definition is one who believes in unseen realities. Yeah, okay. One who believes they can have access to hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge. Oh, you mean like the Bible that, that cannot be understood unless the Spirit of God is giving you the understanding because the natural man receiveth not the things that be of God before they are spiritually discerned. Yeah. One who believes they can have access to hidden mysteries that transcend ordinary human knowledge. Yep. One who believes they can actually know God and have a relationship with him. Okay, is that term wrong? People say, well, well, yeah, but you shouldn't use that term because the world uses the term. Uh, pagan cults use the word church. So does that mean we can't use the word church? Pagan cults call themselves Christians. That mean we can't call ourselves Christians. They have books that they call Bibles. Does that mean we can't use the word Bible? So, biblical mysticism, the act of walking the mystic faith, dying to self, dying to self to walk, think, speak, and work in the Spirit of God in everything we do, contemplating the spiritual aspects of everything and everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, do all to the glory of God. Uh, uh, contemplating the spiritual aspects of everything from the greatest issue to the mundane. Whatever helps us maintain doctrinal, biblical spirituality in the mystic mindset shouldn't be refused or avoided. Only rather it should be reaffirmed in the biblical theology and doctrine. Fear of terms, fear of terms, for example, limits spiritual grasp and progression of the faith because of what these terms some of these things mean and insinuate 
can help a person understand that much more what it means to walk in spirit. We're deliberately trying to explain something, but deliberately avoiding the explanations. This severely limits the ability to get across the understanding. So fear of terms limits spiritual grasp and progression of the faith. Do we, as born-again Christians, do we not work supernatural signs by the power of God? In preaching and teaching and witnessing and prayer and faith and fasting and working the works of God in, in the world, do we not do that? Are we not then in all contexts of the word bear with me just for a moment are we not in all contexts of the word mystics and supernatural workers of the faith of the in the spirit of god but saying that immediately causes the traditionalist and the reformed and the cessationist to recoil in horror and and say all kinds of falsities against us all because they're afraid for some reason and they don't believe it in the first place but now if we if we take this description just for a moment and overlay it on the bible and follow this strictly and what it says and means in all aspects of faith and practice of faith this is our guide but we operate in our our our, our mode operandi uh, the how we operate modus operandi is to this is our rule and authority in all aspects but we take it seriously and we no longer look at the world through a physical lens but through spiritual that every single thing that comes along and thought word deed is spiritual so we take a look at these things god says to meditate upon his word he says to contemplate all things in the lens of God. How how would the Lord want me to do this? How would the Lord want me to work this? How would the Lord want me to operate here? Does Is this something that the Lord would want me to look at, to think upon, to talk like, to talk about? Is this Would the Lord bless this or would the Lord oppose this? Everything. The mystic mind is a mind that that it, that no longer thinks on physical on the physical plane. Our reality is the spiritual reality, not the physical reality. That that the physical reality says the waters cannot be split. The spiritual reality says, watch this. <laughs> now, bear with me just a, just a little bit further. You know who I am, you know what I'm about. I haven't gone crazy or anything. I'm just showing you the actual meanings and def of definitions and things to help you to understand and see what we're up against. For example, the word magic. People automatically... <laughs> the word magic, for example. The actual meaning. Because we say, well, not the word magic. The miracle, not magic. The word magic means the circumstantial manipulation 
of the natural through supernatural means. The circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. Now the supernatural working can be through God or the enemy. The supernatural working of God through Moses, for example. Uh, a staff turned into a snake. That is a miracle, as it's the power of God, but actual by definition, I'm just saying, it's magic. It's a circumstantial manipulation. It just happened. There was no flashing lights and fuzzy wuzzies and whatever. It just, just, just happened. The stick just turned into a snake. The circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. But this was through the power of God. People say, well, I don't like the way you're describing it. Why? Fear of term bias. But do you see what happens when we start seeing things, when you're using actual English words we're using the words to describe these things. What it starts to do, it starts to open up the understanding to seeing the spiritual effect. We start to be able to grasp the spiritual aspect of this that much more. It's not physical, it's spiritual. Miracles and signs and wonders and, and the mystic mindset. Our minds are to be held captive by the word of God in prayer. We're supposed to be walking in the mystic mindset. This is literally how A.W. Tozer talks about a lot of this, FYI. <laughs> but people freak out. They freak out that you use the word magic, <gasps> mystic, meditation. With, uh, they freak out at these words with, without actually studying the meanings. They don't study the meanings of these things. They just automatically outright dismiss them. Because, well, well, pagans also do that. Well, pagans go to church. Pagans play pianos. Pagans, some pagan cults call themselves Christians. Some pagans say they worship Jesus, but it's their Jesus. They use terms and words and practices that we have all the time, but why, why don't we just automatically outright dismiss all of the words and terms and practices that they use? Well, then we would have literally nothing left. So why are we deliberately self-censoring over some things that the pagans use? Well, because they stole from God and are perverting it. But the Bible literally talks about these things. They freak out at these things without actually studying them. They hate them because, well, unsaved people use them. Well, by that logic, we should ban all pianos. Because wicked people use them. Cults use the words religion. Cults use the word spirit. Cults use the word God. Cults use the word churches and hymns. So where do we draw the legalistic line of censoring of words and terms? Well, we shouldn't use them because it could be confusing some people. Well, only if they're uneducated and they're not actually studying. Well, those people already have a big problem to begin with in the first place. So personally... Just saying, based upon what we've just talked about, I'm a mystic. So are you. I'm charismatic. Because what does that mean? Lively. 
active, lively worship. I believe in the reality of miracles and supernatural signs and wonders. The supernatural powers of God. Does that make me biblically wrong? No. But do you see how from the surface level, people wouldn't understand that? The biblical sense of the terms is different from the world's practice. It's truly unfortunate because there's such a higher meaning to the terms. And there is a, there's a level of instruction in these terms that when you look at them, and you look at what the Bible has to say about it, and what it means, what does it mean to, to your mind is held captive by the word of God in prayer? What does that look like? What does that mean? How does that done when you then you look at the word mystic to uh, the the mysteries and the, the the mystic mindset and mysticism of a biblical sense oh oh i get it and how then you turn everything physical into spiritual even a cup of cool water and everything that you do even in eating and drinking don't the glory of god even the most mundane you mean like even in a cup of coffee? You drink a cup of coffee with Jesus. When your mind is perpetually, consistently dwelling upon the Most High. Perpetually, consistently. Giving everything to the Lord. Even a cup of coffee, a glass of water, a bowl of cereal. And you refuse, refuse to allow your mind to dwell upon the physical. What happens to that mind? What happens to that one who is walking in the mystic mindset of the word of God? What happens? Everything else starts to fade away. You start to see where limitations and walls and seas that would part you from where you need to be they're just are no longer even a thing. There is no limitations. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He gives me the hope and the strength and the power and the ability to serve him in fear and trembling. And it's not about me. I die. I end because I'm physical. I end. And my physical limitations end. Because when you're walking in the Lord and the power of the Lord and the service of the Lord, God's not limited. So why would you limit your worship? Why would you limit your service? Why would you limit your witnessing? Why would you limit your view of God? Then all of these excuses and issues and problems and things of the past, well, all the hardships and stuff, just, just, just go away. We aren't dry religionists. We are not traditionalists. That's physical. That's physical. We're spiritual. We're spiritual mystics. 
We serve the Lord, the, the power of the Most High. We, we preach the gospel of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, and we walk with him in newness of life. His mercies are new every morning. And, and in all things I give to him and I serve him in all ways possible. Nothing is limited. He can cause the jar of oil to not run out. You know, I actually have, it's from years ago. Bear with me one second here. Years ago. Well, it's dusty. I need to clean it. When I started, and the Lord showed me this, I got from the dollar store this little jar. I brought it home. And I put some oil in it. Just a little bit. And I corked it. And I set it up here on my desk. And I leave it there. Just a reminder. The woman. There was only a little bit of oil in the bottom of her barrel, the bottom of her jar. And the oil never ran out. It never ran out. And then another time it was Elisha, uh, the woman whose son was, go was going to be sold uh, uh, because she owed money and um, he, the, he was, the boy was going to be taken uh, by, the, by the guy. And Elisha came and helped her and told her to gather up all the jars all around and then take your jar of oil and fill up all of their jars. And she did. She filled up all of their jars with her one jar. And then they went and got more and filled up all of those too. And then they sold them. They had enough money to pay the guy. Out of one jar. It never ran out. This is a reminder to me. Every time I see this, every time I see this, oil will never run out. I trust in the Lord. There's nothing he cannot do. He always answers prayer. And this story of the oil not running out actually happened. That's the thing. It actually happened. The staff actually turned into a snake. The dead actually came back to life. Blind could see. Lame could walk. Mute could speak. Deaf could hear. Lepers were cleansed. Devils are cast out. It's all true. It's all true. The plagues on Egypt, all true. The iron axe head floated. It's true. It actually happened. What if we lived like it was true? What if we lived like it was true? consistently every day we start over forgetting the things of the past take no thought of the morrow one day at a time walking with the lord in the spiritual mindset giving everything to the lord worrying about nothing fearing nothing doubting nothing caring about nothing casting it all upon him being anxious for nothing fretting over nothing but just give it to the Lord and then forget about it. Give it to the Lord and then forget about it.
You know what would happen? You know what happened? Churches would change. Saints would change. Your prayer life will change. Fears will disappear. Troubles will wash away. Because he promised. Because he promised. And God cannot lie. I'm an example of it, folks. You've heard me. You've heard me preach. You know what I'm about. You know what I'm like. And I'm telling you, this is how I look at it. This is who I am. This is what I am. This is what I believe that the Lord has shown me. Show me from the word of God how I'm wrong. But if I'm right, what's your excuse? Something to think about. So with that, any other comments, questions, issues, insights, anything at all? What's your thoughts on this? I want to hear, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Please don't be afraid to, to pipe up, to say something. Tell me what's on your heart, what's on your mind. What, what are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? What, what, where, I want to hear from you. As uh, I know with some people this can be troubling, this can be a little difficult. Some people don't know how to go about this. I, I, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, please let me know what you think. Now, I've brought this up before the Lord. I've sought this out. I've examined this again and again. And this is what the Lord keeps bringing me back to. Is when we take a look at the word of God. Nothing's changed but the covenant. The only thing in the word of God that's changed was the covenant. It's now in the blood of Jesus Christ. But we operate in service and worship and praise the same. We operate in preaching and teaching and witnessing evangelizing the same. We operate in faith the same. The, co the covenant is the only thing that changed. The servants of God still operate, still preach and teach and work and pray and praise and work the signs and wonders of God. Cessationism is false. Not supported by scripture. Cessationism is not supported by scripture. Tell me I'm wrong. Show me how I'm wrong. So with that in mind, when we think about it, what's our excuse? We keep praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for a lively faith for the Lord to show us, but we're not willing to walk it. So few are willing to walk it. We're too afraid because of peer pressure. We're too afraid and, and, and fearful and confused by because of what society has become and is doing and is saying and is teaching and preaching of their own. Because of the technological age, we feel weird operating like the servants of God. We feel weird 
praying in public because, well, we don't do that in our technological age. We don't live by faith today because, well, that's just weird because nobody else does that. Well, because no one does that, then that means that that it itself is wrong. Doesn't the Bible say that the world will hate you because of me? In this world, you shall suffer tribulation for my name's sake. We have become fools for Christ's sake. The world already sees us as foolish. The world has already discarded us. The world already hates us. So what is there to lose? Give it to the Lord. We give all things to the Lord and we walk in the mystic mindset. We show the world through the mystic life of the saint that there is a God. That when we pray, things happen because there's a God and he hears the prayers of the saints and he fills it out. We show the world that the faith is real and it's not just dry religion. That there's actual oil. There's substance. There's something to it. And it doesn't run out. And the oil of gladness poured upon our heads by the Holy Ghost because we please the Lord when we walk thus. These are things that the Lord has shown me. And it happens. It happens. I'm a nobody. I'm not some. I'm not a prophet. <laughs> I'm not an apostle. I. I'm a nobody. I'm a backwoods hillbilly in Canada. I've. I'm a nobody. I have. I'm not. I don't have fancy degrees and titles. But I give myself to the Lord and I walk with the Lord and honor him as best I can and I witness the best I can and I sin I make mistakes I'm I struggle like everyone else I'm not special but I know he who is and I know what the Lord is capable of I know what the Lord is capable of and the Lord still works miracles the Lord still saves souls and the Lord must be honored and praised and I was actually talking to an individual. I got a little story for you. This happened about a couple years ago. I was outside working out. And the Lord brings along people all the time. And I was outside working out. is on the roadway by our place. And I had my tractor tire out. And I had bricks in it. And I'm working out and everything. And I'm all sweaty. And it's the middle of summer. And... And by our place, a little off of the other side of a park there, there's a river that people go over and fish in all the time. And there's always fishermen walking down our road. And anyways, uh, I'm on the road working out and a guy comes walking along and he has fishing rod and net and all his gear and everything. And he stops and starts talking to me and we get chatting. And I forget how the conversation got around, but I had an opportunity to start presenting the gospel. And that's when it turns out this guy claims to be a Christian. Like, oh, great. Awesome. So we get talking and he's just telling, you know, he's been struggling and he's a searching and he's really, really troubled with a lot of problems in his life. And so I spend some time encouraging him and we get talking and talking. I'm sharing scripture and scripture and, 
and helping him and answering some questions and stuff and he's getting encouraged and by the time we're done we're talking for like a couple hours by the time we're done the sun is starting to go down and he wasn't even able to get out and go fishing and we noticed this and he's like oh i I think I'm maybe got a couple minutes left and and I said now look like we were talking about what the Lord is able to do how he helps you in all things and he is real and you need to trust in him like I was talking about I said like and for example you could go right down to that river and I said this to him this is what I said you could go down to that river cast your line in and the moment your line hits the water you'll catch a great big fish. I'm telling you, the Lord can do that. Do you believe that? He's like, well, yeah, I believe that. I know the Lord could do that. I'm like, trust him. So he walks off and the sun's going down and I'm uh, uh, already done my work. So I pack up my stuff. I put my stuff away and I go inside. And the next day I'm back out on the road again, working out. And a little while later, this guy comes walking down the road again. He's like, oh, there you are. There you are. I've been, I was looking for you. Says you won't believe what happened. I'm like, what? He says, after we finished talking, I walked down to the river, got set up and I took my line and the, and I cast my line in the, and the moment my line hit the water, bang, I caught a great big fish and I was holding it up and I was looking for you, but you couldn't see it. I had nothing to do with it. Lord did. The Lord honors the requests of his saints. The Lord justifies the words of faith. God hears the prayers of his saints. God confirms the words of his saints. When we speak in faith and power and love, and trust in Christ, the Lord honors that. Those who honor me, I will honor. As I was telling this one to trust in the Lord and to repent of the fear and to give himself to the Lord, to trust the Lord with all his heart and to walk in the Lord and to, to, to cast his care upon the Lord. And I showed him the Lord honored that. I had nothing to do with it. The Lord is the one that did that. But the Lord was proving the point. Like I was telling the guy, the Lord proved the point. He justified it. The Lord justified what I was telling him to show the guy that God still loves him. God still cares about him. That God is with him and he's not cast him away. And that the God does forgive him. And the guy was so encouraged. He, he took what I'd said to heart and he believed. That after this happened, miracles are for the purpose of encouraging the saints and proving the validity of Christ. That was a miracle. I told the guy, cast your line in the water and you'll immediately catch a fish. And he did. Who did that? How did that happen? God. God did it. Christ did it. To prove his word is true. To prove his word is true. But what does doubt, fear, and unbelief, faithlessness do? Dries up the well. It dries up the jar. And you're left with nothing. When you go to pour it out, there's nothing. 
And then that becomes your faith that there is nothing. And your prayers are empty and dry. Your joy is dry and bitter. And you pray with chapped lips spiritually. And you're begging for water in the wilderness, but you're, but you're not bending your head to look. To look that maybe you're on the wrong path. Maybe you're looking wrong. Maybe you're not looking in the right place. Instead of looking in the dust, you need to look at the rock that is higher than I. From the rock comes the water of life. Out of you will flow the springs of living water. God doesn't change. We do. We change. We give up. We dry up faith. We stop praying. We stop trusting. We stop believing that God can when His word says he can. And we alter his word with our faithlessness. Like the, like the Calvinist changes the very words of the word of God to change God to fit their ideology. The cessationist changes the very uh, teaching of faith of scripture to fit their faithlessness. Am I wrong? People say, well, if it's true, how come I haven't seen me? Because you're not asking in faith, but you're asking in fear. You're asking in wavering. You're asking in unbelief that you have this, this, I call it the Christian cop-out in the back of the mind. Well, Lord, could you please do this? But if it's your will, and you, we say that because we don't really believe it'll happen. So when it doesn't happen, we're not so shocked. We have a, we have a cop-out of faithlessness. But the Lord says, didn't he? Why did he say anything you ask in my name, I'll do it. But what does it mean to ask in his name? What does it mean to ask in his name? In his name. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, to ask in his name, in my name, to be in, not beside, not near, in, all in, all in, all in. See it? Living in the mindset of the spiritual and not the physical allows no room for the physical doubts. So when the physical doubts start to surface, we push them down, push them away because they're wrong. Physical reality does not dictate the reality of the spiritual. Physical laws do not dictate the laws of the spiritual. Physical life does not dictate the life of the spiritual. Physical emotions do not dictate the reality of the spiritual. God says, any thought that is contradiction to what God says is wrong. Anything that, that surfaces that is in contradiction to the word of God is wrong. We have to choose. Which will we serve? The physical or the spiritual? Choose you this day whom you will serve. If ye abide in me. In, 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 to be in. Not with your feet dangling out. All in. All in. You're not all in if you got a safety net. You're not all in if you're not burning the bridges. You're not all in if you're keeping one hand on the shore. Peter is not all in walking on the water if he's keeping one hand on the boat. It's got to let go. All in. You're all in has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with your mind. How do you see it? How do you reason it? What is your reason? What is your logic? 
What is your thought? He is our thought. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. So we have no thoughts and ways of our own. We have no means of reasoning of our own because our reasoning is limited and flawed and errant and makes mistakes and lies and deceives us. His reasoning, his logic, the mystic mind is a mind that lets go of the things of this world and lives and soars in the word of God. We live like the saints of old in mind, in mind and thought, which becomes word and deed. Your words and deeds reflect that which your mind dwells upon. And if your mind is dwelling upon fears and unbelief and faithlessness and trouble and, and all these other things, how is that going to reflect in your word and deed? But if your mind is held captive by the word of God in prayer and you're abiding in him and his word is abiding in you, how is your word and deed going to seem? Can God confirm the words of the saints who speak and, and reflect only that which is of faithlessness, fear, and doubt, and care, and, and unbelief. And, the, and they went everywhere preaching the word, and the Lord confirmed the word with signs following. How can God confirm your word if your word is that which is of fear and faithlessness? If you're, if you're constantly living in doubt and fretting and anxiety, how can God bless that? How can God work with that? How can God manifest himself in that? He can't, and he won't. And thus, because that because that doesn't happen, people start to believe that that's normal, and this is where cessationism comes from. Look what the Lord has said. Forsake all. What's he talking about? Well, the fishermen, that was their livelihood. That was their everything. Everything that they were and had that they identified as, they gave it all up. And they took on a new mind, a new heart, new spirit, new life, new way, new truth, new life. I am the way, singular, one and only, the way, the truth, the life. Therefore, I cannot bring mine into the equation. I can't bring mine into the equation. Fire is nothing to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if the fire consumed them, they didn't care because they were not about to bend their mind to the possibility of physical law. Even if we're still not going to bow. Our Lord is able to deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we're not bowing. No safety net. You see that? Daniel was faced with the lion's den. No safety net. Noah built the ark. Had no other option. Set nothing else before him. No safety net. Elijah on the, on the Mount Carmel and his other miracles and the, his working with God against Ahab and Jezebel. No safety net. No bridge to go back on. No second chance. No, no other option. No going back. All in. The disciples. All in. Apostle Paul, all in. John the Baptist, all in. How about you? 
if if you abide in me if my words abide in you ask what you will and it shall be done unto you do you ask to die to self to give yourself wholly to the Lord to cast all your care upon him all the troubles and trials and circumstances of life to give it all up you're not going to settle for second best you're not you're, you're not going to be looking at that safety net you're going to cut it down you're going to burn the bridge and you're not going to look back it, he who puts his hands to the plow looking back is not fit for the kingdom meaning unusable god can't use those that keep looking back put your hand to the plow work but how do i know if i'm straight god is the one that is guiding your steps you trust that god is keeping you straight on the path you're not the one that keeps yourself straight you can't look back well i gotta make sure i'm getting the the row straight you know no hand to the plow look for it and god guides your feet just as scripture says that the lord guides the steps of his saints put your hand to the plow and don't look back you put your eyes on Christ and you press toward the mark. Press the plow. You press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what they would do is they put their hand to the plow and they look down the end of the field and they would see a stone or a tree at the end of the lane. And they keep their eye on that tree, their eye on that rock. And they go straight for that tree, straight for that rock. They put their hand to the plow and they press toward the mark. They don't look back. They press toward the mark. What's your mark? What are you setting as your goal? To walk in the mystic mind is the laws and the rules and the ways and the things and the circumstances and the emotions and the teachings and the doctrines and the, the stuff of this life is irrelevant to us. But the kings and the heathens and the pagans and the rulers and the emperors and the nations and society and all that stuff what they say and do irrelevant irrelevant because i know him who transcends above all that i know him who can change all things alter all things fears and trials and troubles and tribulations that happen to me are, are just opportunities to watch god work that when something of negative happens to me that's just an opportunity for God to work. That's not something for me to worry about. I have a job to do, and that is to preach Christ. I have a job to do, and that is to serve the Lord. Everything else is God's job. Everything else is God's problem. Everything else is God's challenge, not mine. The, the, the challenge for us is to serve the Lord. That's all. The challenge is to trust the Lord. Our challenge is not to fix the problem. We contemplate, meditate upon the word of God. The power of Christ. The belief of faith. The power of prayer. 
and the Word of God. We take it to heart. We write it upon our minds, upon our hearts, meditating on the Word of God in prayer, memorizing the Scriptures, and then bring Him into everything. And when God is in everything in your life, when God is in everything that is in your life, what happens? It becomes his life, not yours. So there you go. Just want to talk about that. And I hope this is a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you. I hope this is giving you something to think about. We can't settle for second best. We give the troubles and trials to him. We stop trying to fix the problem. We forget the past. Take no thought of the morrow. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. And lean not to our own understanding. But in all our ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct our paths. If... We choose the mystic life. If we abide in him. If his word abides in us. Die to self. Forsake all. Follow me, Jesus is. Jesus is Lord. Amen. So there you go. So that's today. So I think that, that's, a, that's a good spot to wrap it up. I think this is a good spot to wrap it up. And uh, I'm just going to recommend it. Just a thought. You do not have to, okay? But just something just to remind you. Get a jar. It doesn't have to be a big one. Even if it's a little one. But something that will stand out that you will notice. Put some oil in it. Just a little bit in the bottom. And, and cork it. Seal it up. It, it to never be opened. And set it somewhere obvious. To always stand out. Faith. Even if only, even if it seems like it's almost gone, everything's almost gone, even in the even in the driest times. Oil never runs out. Faith never runs out. The Lord never runs out. The Lord never fails. He always hears our prayers. He will always come through. Just something for you to think about. So yeah, so just something to think about. Now take everything that I've said, take it to the word of God. Don't take me at my word. You don't close your Bible, now listen to me. You don't do that. Take everything that I've said, take it to the Lord. Look it up. Do the due diligence, like the Bereans. Search out the scriptures to see if these things are so. Hold me accountable. Hold me accountable. But in so, look it up. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. This is what the Lord has shown me. Everything that I spoke about today is what the Lord has shown me. And I'm telling you, it has changed my life. It has changed my mind. It has fixed my brain, literally. It has fixed, changed my life in every way possible. The Lord has proved himself so many ways, I can't even recall them all. The Lord is so good. 
he is so gracious the goodness of god leadeth thee to repentance and the goodness of god which is so overwhelming just makes us fall to our faces it drives us to our knees to say lord forgive me you're true you're right forgive me again and again lord i'm sorry again and again like when when jesus when jesus settled the storm and peter fell on his face before him and says lord depart from me i'm a sinful man That's what the Lord's looking for. Or we surrender all. Like the song, like the hymn, I surrender all. To surrender ourselves in fear and and adoration of the Lord. And repentance and faith and belief. Say, Lord, forgive me for my faithlessness. Lord, forgive my weak faith. Forgive my fear. Forgive my doubting. Forgive us, Lord. I know you are able. I know you transcend all things. I know that in you all things are possible. Lord, help me to understand. Lord, forgive mine unbelief. Watch God work. So with that, wrap it up there. Thank you so much for joining, folks. God bless you. I hope this has been a help and a comfort and encouragement to you. I hope this has given you something to think about. I hope you'll take it to heart. Now you may be asking, okay, I I see it, I get it, I know what you're saying, and I believe you. Now, how do I start? How do I start? You start by starting. (laughs) Find a quiet place. Go to your room, close the door. Turn off your phone. Mute the notifications. No distractions. No hindrances. You tell everyone else to leave you alone for a while. Close the door. Take your Bible. Grab a pillow if you need to. Kneel down on the floor. Kneel down. Break the flesh. Kneel down. Open your Bible and pray lord i'm sorry let it out slide it out die to self surrender to the lord you see there's salvation from sin this is how i see it forgive me if i'm wrong this is how i see it there's salvation from sin this is salvation eternal life but then there comes a point in the christian's life where a decision must be made are you going to follow him there's now salvation from self salvation from self for my own that my own pride my own arrogance my own selfishness of my own life of my own decisions of of me living my life for the lord i'm gonna make the choices i need to be saved from me i need salvation from me from my selfish stubborn rebellion of constantly going after and angling after my own ideas of my own things of my own fears my own emotions of my own decisions of my own schemes lord save me from me i surrender I want you, O Lord. 
I choose you. I want you. Lord, forgive me. Use me. Help me to serve you in all things. Lord, help me to die to self, to bring you into all things. Pray to be saved from yourself, from your own arrogant, selfish, fleshly desires. The sin wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It fights us. The physical fights the spiritual. We need to be rescued from that every day. That's why it's every day. Forgetting the things of the past, take no thought of the morrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What is the evil? What is that evil? Our own flesh. Our own flesh. Go. Pray. Surrender to the Lord. Watch it happens. Watch it happens. So, we'll actually wrap it up on that point. So, with that, thank you so much for joining in, folks. God bless you. Again, I hope this has been a help, a comfort, and encouragement to you. And again, if you appreciate these studies, give us a like, give us a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. So when we put up new videos and check out all our other, we've got tons of other goodies and whatnot. I also have a playlist on spiritual gifts, a playlist on spiritual warfare, a playlist on, uh, what's that one I have about, uh, it's for the saints. Just, uh, uh, so a couple of videos in there to think about. So I hope you'll check that out. I have a playlist uh, on all these kinds of things. So check these out and give those a listen. Give those a watch. Give yourself to the Lord. Watch what happens. So God bless you. Thanks so much for joining, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. Thank you.